Welcome to the new podcast by my Near Kitchen and Helsinki blog. This is a series of interviews with researchers, practitioners, activists, and any other food-related people in Finland, discussing their works, the topics that emerge around food, current situation, but also future projections. In the near future or later on, the location of the guests may extend beyond the borders of Finland, but my priority, at least for now, will be to see the local picture. Today's guest on the podcast is researcher and my dear friend, Francesca Allievi. Francesca defended her doctoral dissertation about meat consumption as a wicked problem a few years ago, and since then she has been working on increasing awareness of food sustainability, particularly among young people. She and I talked about the complexity of food sustainability and the educational tools she developed with her colleagues to teach this complexity. Hope you enjoy. Okay, hello Francesca. How are you? Hello. Hi, all good, and thanks for having me here. I'm I'm super happy because uh, we've been friends for a few years now, and it was food that brought us together. So I think it was I think it was natural to invite you to this podcast, and uh, I'm so happy. And it's very interesting topic yet again that we're going to discuss. Um, so to start with, can you introduce yourself a little? Um, your academic background, your research interests, but also uh, your personal relationship with food and your uh, your personal food-related activities. Yes. So actually, my my first academic background is in environmental and land planning engineering. Uh, so I've got my bachelor and master degree in in this from from Italy. And uh, then I've moved to Finland and I've been working for some years at the Finland Futures Research Center. And there I have started to move more towards the topics related to sustainability, even though they were still uh, more about uh, sustainability of energy use, for example. But then uh, in one project that uh, that uh, got funded there in Finland Futures Research Center, I started my PhD studies. And uh, during my PhD, then I moved specifically to food sustainability issues. And finally, I did um, the, the research topic of my PhD was meat consumption and how meat consumption has evolved and changed all over the world in the past uh, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have looked at that from uh, the point of view really of the of the data and then uh, also from the point of view of, uh, of policies. And uh, at the same time with the PhD studi- studies, I was uh, also involved in other things. I was working with some NGOs, for example, dealing with uh, um, protection of the rainforest and uh, developing some uh, sustainable agriculture projects there. Then I was doing different um, um, lectures or small presentations in the form of education to the civil society. Uh, for really anyone, starting with uh, kids that were 11 to 12 years old and ending with uh, people who were already retired and and into their late uh, 70s or beginning of their 80s. So um, this has uh, little by little shaped also my interests into into these food sustainability issues and the role of meat consumption in food Mm -hmm. sustainability and uh, and so on and uh, now i've been uh, for this is my third year in yamk university of applied sciences in Uvascula, where i am a lecturer full-time lecturer and uh, it's interesting because the degree is in tourism and uh, hospitality management 
but there is a big chunk of courses on uh, sustainable gastronomy. So I teach uh, all sorts of courses, both online and uh, also in face-to-face classes uh, dealing with these topics. So it's been really, really nice to be able now to to gather a bit all the different experiences and uh, networks and knowledge that I have gathered in the past few years uh, uh, during during the PhD studies and bring them to, to the students and bring them into my teaching. So this is the the uh, like the the academic side or the the work side, uh, but uh, on a more personal level, I I try to in a way in, in my very uh, giving my very small contribution to practicing what I preach. Mm-hmm. So uh, for example, I've been having a, a gardening plot now for the past uh, three years. Uh, that I am I'm very happy about. Um, uh, my my great grandparents were all farmers, so I have this uh, like family history um, connected to farming and farming practices. And uh, I have grown up with uh, my grandpa that was um, growing a lot of vegetables in his backyard. So I've been growing up uh, seeing physically how how food is brought to the table and uh, having my um, my grandparents involved into into growing food and uh, and cooking and um, so family in my family has always been very important to to have a strong connection to to food mm-hmm. and eating good food and uh, so on so I try to continue doing that as well mm-hmm. and actually also in this past uh, almost 13 years that I've lived in Finland uh, food has definitely been an element that has uh, contributed to building a community of people. And uh, I think also the friendship with you is a good example of that, that uh, food has been the connecting point. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice to organize dinners at my place, sharing food with neighbors and so on. So that has definitely uh, contributed to building my life here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 well, I visited to this uh, plot you have, if you remember. <laughs> yes, true. It's also the, 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 also one, the one by the lake, uh, the, the small yes. plot and also the big one. And it was, it was really good. And I, and I still want to come again to Tampere. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, so let's dive right into the, uh, big topic on the title, which is the complexity of food sustainability. Uh, so what do you mean by complexity of food sustainability and, and you know, how should we address this, this complexity? Yeah, so um, complexity, with, with complexity, I mean that uh, when we deal with food sustainability, and of course, food sus- sustainability is uh, uh, is like an umbrella word, and under that, there are many different topics. There are topics related to sustainable agriculture, like I have already mentioned, uh, but there are also uh, issues related to nutrition, so nutritional challenges. There are uh, problems related to food security, for example. Uh, There is problems related to food loss and food waste. So there is really, um, it's already like complex as a a topic. So there are many, in a way, subtopics and areas uh, to be included. 
And uh, in turn, because there are all these sub areas, there are, of course, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, of actors and perspectives that need to be included if we want to go to a, towards a more sustainable direction. Uh, because we have, of course, uh, uh, actors and agents in the food system that have priorities that are very different. So basically, it's complex because there is not a straightforward answer in most cases. Uh, in most cases, it's it's actually pretty hard to say, okay, what is the good thing uh, to do? What is uh, there is not an answer like yes or no in most cases. Uh, and uh, um, if we think of more like the academic language, the word that is used uh, to, to describe these sort of situations, and the one also that I uh, was using in my PhD was that of wicked problems. And uh, 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 of course, this is also something that you are very familiar with. And uh, uh, there are different uh, methods and uh, that attempt to give, uh, in a way, the frameworks and the tools that uh, are necessary to manage these problems. So not to solve, but to manage these problems and, uh, uh, and their possible solutions. So um, when, when thinking of these complex issues, so um, I think that one key thing definitely can be dialogue and uh, inclusiveness of all these different perspectives and, uh, and actors. I think this is something that really we cannot do without if we are to um, to change the way that things are, are, have been done so far. And uh, I think also the global pandemic that is going on at the moment has uh, highlighted even more how we are all interconnected with each other, uh, even if uh, we may think that we are in uh, geographical places that are very far from each other or living lives that are very far from each other. But uh, uh, I think that. Uh, the food system really is a perfect example of how interconnected we really are. So um, this is this generates complexity, uh, but also should be the the starting point to uh, really act on cooperation mechanisms using more creativity, more imagination, and maybe also uh, should be the starting point to to question a bit our our values and our way of uh, of moving in the world and acting in the world so uh, this can be in my opinion all starting points at least to address this complexity mm -hmm. um, so then how can you define a sustainable food system i mean it is complex so the definition is complex as well but as much as possible uh, how can you define it? And you, we, we, you already said about talk about the problems, but uh, in your opinion, what are the most urgent uh, points in the current system that needs uh, some kind of intervention or, or, an, or an action? Yeah, so definitely this is a really hard question. Um, so we have, as I was saying before, uh, the issue is very complex. So to, I think it's, it's pretty much impossible to give, um, and I wouldn't even maybe want to give one definition that, that tries to fit uh, because uh, uh, the, 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 um, there is so much variation in the world uh, that uh, I think uh, one definition is not, is not enough. 
But uh, one starting point that I see as being very urgent is definitely that related to environmental issues. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess um, many of the people who are listening may be familiar also with the framework given by the United Nations of the Sustainable Development Goals. And it's a framework that it's uh, now widely used for, for different scopes from education to policy making sometimes maybe even abused, I would say, I would dare to say, uh, because then sometimes the, I think that the attention is going uh, too far from uh, uh, the base of, uh, uh, of everything that we have in society, and that is natural resources. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, uh, of course, there are many things that are very important to be addressed, but uh, if we don't take care very strongly of natural resources first, then everything else is going to collapse. And uh, uh, also there is, for example, one researcher from uh, the Stockholm Re uh, Resilience Center that uh, um, in, in one uh, uh, presentation was um, talking about how food is connecting all these uh, sustainable development goals. So, uh, and how the environmental resources are at the basis of uh, of all the uh, sustainable development goals. So if we don't start from there and if we don't keep in mind that food uh, really acts on uh, on other issues as well, it acts on issues related to poverty, for example, it acts on issues related to how we produce and consume things in this world and so on. Um, I think uh, uh, really the environment and the taking care of the environmental resources should be uh, even higher in the agenda than it is now, and not just in the political agenda, but in the agenda of, of every everyone, like our personal agenda. So uh, that's something that uh, maybe I, I don't see being, being done uh, enough uh, yet. Yeah, and uh, this also connects uh, to my next question, but also uh, your dissertation as well. It was about uh, meat uh, production and consumption, and it's it's affecting, as you have uh, extensively researched, uh, it has adverse effects on climate change and and food sustainability, and this is where I want to come now. This whole the question of meat, um, how is how is the meat uh, production and consumption affecting, uh, and maybe you can uh, start by uh, talking about the parameters that are considered and. Uh, explain it that way yeah so um definitely i think now when when connecting for example to what i was just saying before so the the use of natural resources that are becoming uh, that are limited and and are um in a way more and more threatened around the world uh, definitely the the production of meat is uh, among uh, different types of food is the one that requires the most amount of land because animals uh, need to eat themselves before we or some of us eat the animals. So that requires extensive amounts of land. And, uh, uh, and then it requires huge amounts of water because once again, uh, the process becomes very long. So we need to first grow the cereals and the fodder that, that animals are eating, then the processing of the meat, the transportation and so on. So uh, that also, it's a, it's a very water intensive um, food. So that's also another, another problem. And then of course, there is the problem of the greenhouse gas emissions. So if we look at these three, uh, we see that really 
the situation is quite critical. For example, also when we think about use of land, it's not just about how much land is used, but also uh, often where is that land that is used? Because uh, unfortunately, the situation is that, uh, for example, we see large patches of uh, of rainforest. Mm-hmm. So uh, in in an ecosystem that is very precious and very rich and uh, um, very important for the for the well being of of everything else in the planet, that are being destroyed because they are in a, in a favorable place to grow than uh, certain ingredients that are necessary for uh, making. Um, animal feeds mm. so this is a huge problem and uh, it's a it's a problem that as going back to something else that i mentioned um earlier really shortens also this geographical distance between what happens for example in europe and what happens in uh, for example south america there is no distance uh, at all when when we think about that so what 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 happens here as a very immediate and direct consequence in a in a very far away place and then when we think about water, the pro- problem is that uh, the amount of, uh, of uh, uh, water that can be used for agriculture because it's fresh water, because it's not uh, salted uh, and so on, it's very limited. So again, if huge quantities are uh, used for this uh, very uh, intensive type of food, it's probably not the best use that we can uh, we can do of a, of a limited uh, resources like uh, like water, and uh, of course also we have we I think uh, the the idea of greenhouse gas emissions is now something that also in the uh, in the public discussions and in the civil society is quite uh, widespread and uh, people are familiar with that idea. So um, definitely also uh, especially uh, bovine meat as really high. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions so of course these are all uh, elements that uh, do not uh, uh, give a very favorable picture to uh, the the production and consumption of meat especially the way that is done nowadays which is very different from what was done uh, maybe even just uh, 60 years ago or 70 years ago so uh, now we have this massive production that has this uh, enormous environmental consequences Uh here, I just want to just to be clear. Uh, when we talk about you know meat production and consumption effect, effects, uh, are we talking about all kinds of meat, or are there some differences between different kinds of meat? So yes, of course there are differences. So for example, uh, in in my um, PhD, I analyzed the three main types of meat that are consumed globally. So that is uh, beef, so cow, bovine meat. Mm-hmm. Um, poultry, so mainly mainly chicken meat, and uh, uh, and pig meat, and uh, of course there are differences in the sense that uh, um, poultry or chicken meat is that that uses these uh, uh, resources more efficiently and has lower greenhouse gas emissions, mm-hmm. um, while bovine meat is the most intensive one. So. Uh, that definitely should be kept in mind. Uh, and I would like to add that another thing that um, that uh, needs to be taken into account is that uh, I think now we see a trend, at least in some European countries, for a higher demand for vegan options, uh, vegetarian option, and uh, at least a slight decline mm. in, uh, uh, in the consumption of meat. But then uh, when we think of this globally, 
we have other countries where the situation is opposite because um, uh, there has been uh, historically this uh, association of uh, uh, a, a higher level of, of income uh, associated with a certain, let's say, Western uh, consumption uh, style. And that's associated with, for example, meat products as well and, and dairy products as well. So uh, there are countries in the world, in Asia, for example, that are moving away from their um, more traditional type of, uh, of uh, food and, uh, and diets and moving towards a more uh, Western-like consumption yeah. style. And this, of course, creates um, massive uh, problems to the environment. Um, well, you said a little bit about this, uh, you know, different countries, but, you know, I, I work or, or with mostly uh, with the grassroots uh, food movements, such as food justice, right to the food and, and you know, nonprofit organizations working on these uh, topics. And I know a little bit of about uh, the policy, but, um, but can you say a little bit about uh, what which countries uh, have are doing policy level uh, something about meat uh, and and dairy of course uh, and you know uh, are there any good examples? Yeah, so uh, there is a, again a huge variation in what uh, countries all, all over the world are doing in this sense. So uh, when we look, for example, at the nutritional guidelines in uh, in countries all over the world. Uh, there are still countries that, for example, do not have nutritional guidelines. Uh, then there are countries that, uh, that do have nutritional guidelines, but uh, do not have uh, very specific uh, suggestions concerning, for example, meat. Or maybe they have, uh, but they are very vague. Maybe they are uh, recommending, for example, that uh, white meat should be preferred over red meat, but everything is very vague. And uh, um, and then there are countries, and I think Finland is uh, is a good example of that, where the the food policies and the nutritional guidelines are are rather strong in this sense, uh, where uh, there are also some uh, um, attempts to link uh, certain nutritional guidelines, so certain recommendation for for diets, um, with uh, elements of sustainability. So they might go as far as suggesting specific amounts per week of meat per week, for example. Um, I think what, still one thing that needs to be, to be noted is that uh, I, I assume that you are familiar with um, uh, the report that was released last year by the Eat Lancet uh, group, so where they tried to, um, to really uh, understand what is the, what is the diet, the so-called planetary diet that uh, should be really... Um, in a way, uh, adapted by everyone in order to, to be respectful of the nutritional aspect and the environmental uh, protection. And I think that uh, um, still the, the guidelines that, that are present, even in the countries like Finland or Sweden, uh, that are doing quite well in terms of nutritional guidelines, are still pretty far from the recommendations that were given, for example, in that report. Mm. So... Uh, Basically, even when those uh, nutritional guidelines exist and, and try to address the, uh, the link of, uh, of meat consumption with sustainability and environmental resources and so on, um, still the, the quantities that are recommended are much higher than 
those that, for example, have been uh, uh, suggested in that report. Yeah, but but so uh, there's a lot of problems around meat, but is we can't just say oh let's just reduce the amount of production then you you in your dissertation i i think one of the most interesting parts to read for me was to see uh, like the effects of just reducing uh, the meat and then what does it really uh, help or uh, what other things can be done should be done because there are there are there are also questions of uh, regarding cereal consumption and grain and wheat price increases then so it's not just one simple equation again um and you you argue that a, a, com a complex set of actions uh should be implemented so uh, can you explain this a little bit and uh what kind of possible set of uh, actions you you said a little bit in the beginning uh, like corporations and, and things like that but what in general and you can you can speak specifically about meat question but you can also extend this uh, to food sustainability in general yes yeah, so uh definitely i think that uh, once again we are dealing with something that is very complex so uh and once again, we are dealing with a situation where we have to look at uh, the whole world and how different parts of the world are uh, interconnected with each other. So what happens somewhere may have uh, an effect on, the, for example, the economy of, uh, of a very far away country. So the, the example you gave of um, change, possible changes in, uh, for example, grain and wheat prices, that's definitely, definitely one that should be addressed. So. Um, I would say once again that uh, uh, the actions that are needed are of different kinds and need to be at different levels. So there needs to be uh, definitely, for example, uh, a high like a higher level of communication between um, at the policy making level between those who, for example, write the nutritional guidelines and those who deal with environmental issues. That already would probably generate. Uh, a set of policies that would be, in a way, more coherent with what is actually needed. Mm -hmm. And that could be one. And, and that could have, for example, uh, that could have, for example, ex effects on, uh, on education in that sense. So um, I think that uh, uh, really the, what, what we should be aiming at as a society is uh, not to try to find uh, one, one silver bullet uh, sometimes yeah. this definition is used uh, that that can solve everything, but uh, uh, try to develop uh, really a dialogue and uh, a, an assessment of uh, of everything that uh, that needs to be taken into account, which is very difficult. It's yeah. very difficult, and I realize that my answer maybe seems to be uh, uh, not enough. But um, there is so many um, aspects that need to be considered that uh, I don't see any other way then uh, really uh, to create a dialogue that is as respectful and inclusive as uh, as possible yeah uh, and uh, the question is not getting any easier with covid-19 <laughs> not not right now and possibly not for the future as well i mean uh, it didn't uh, covid-19 puts a large magnifying glass on all the problems that we actually knew uh, and made them even more urgent, I think. Uh, so how do you think, for example, the effects of COVID-19 for the future? I mean, even if the 
corona covid 19 itself if we deal with if we control tomorrow we have a vaccine and you know uh, and we control it and we have some kind of new normal at least uh, there will be still some effects uh, on this on the whole system on on, on society but specifically on the food system what do you think uh, about the future related to covid 19 yeah so um what I think is uh, probably not what's gonna what is gonna happen, but it's still my hope mm. that uh, I would hope that people would learn not to give things for granted. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think food is the perfect example for that. We have seen now with COVID nineteen huge, um, as you said, in a way um, it has been highlighted uh, a lot of things that we we knew already. Uh, problems with uh, with food distribution have come out problems with uh, matching the demand and the offer, uh, problems with uh, uh, food security issues. Uh, I think that uh, in, the, in the majority of the countries that have been affected by, by COVID-19, the, the people using, for example, services of, uh, uh, related to food, so uh, people that, that need to use this, uh, these services given by uh, by the government or NGOs or the church uh, to to have food to eat. I think the amount of people using these services has increased enormously. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it has revealed in a way how how fragile is the system that uh, that has been built also around uh, around food and the distribution of food. and uh, and also, I think it has um, it has highlighted how um, we are relying on this idea that uh, um, that uh, things will always go smoothly. That uh, uh, you know that massive amounts of, uh, for example, uh, cereals that are needed or, or soy that is needed to uh, to uh, feed the animals can move free freely from from one country to the other. Um, and maybe that's not like that. That's, uh, maybe we should be questioning ourselves, is that something that is really necessary? Can we do things maybe a, in a different way? Can we change our consumption uh, styles so that maybe certain things become uh, less necessary? And uh, uh, so my hope is that people don't, don't give things for granted anymore. But uh, then again... <laughs> According to what I, I see uh, around me, mm. I don't uh, I don't trust this fully. Yeah. So even just the idea that we can go to the supermarket and always find everything that we want, I think that's not that's yeah. not very healthy thought, yeah. and it's not healthy for for the food system, for the environment, and and even for social issues either. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that at least the question uh, would remain there and would uh, uh, change the approach that people have uh, concerning these issues. But I think it also it now uh, what you said uh, in the end uh, connects uh, to my next question about uh, the awareness of food sustainability in civil society, and it also connects to your more recent uh, work that you have been doing. Uh, can you? Can you briefly uh, explain how can we increase uh, the awareness of food sustainability? I mean, personally, I'm seeing every now and then uh, some articles, for example, from big newspapers like The Guardian, BBC, and uh, they write about veganism or meat uh, 
consumption from different points of view. And uh, of course, it's not easy to to uh, tell the the or to communicate this the complexity of these issues in one journal newspaper article. Uh, but sometimes the, the communication is so simplified that the um, the discussion becomes too simplified and too black and white because I also check the, the comments of people, you know, on how people are reacting. And so in the end, we just, we, we, we talk about very extreme situations and we, we lose the gray areas, which are a lot and, you know, in between discussions. So how do you think we can increase uh, the awareness in civil society? Yeah, definitely. This this is an interesting point, and and once again, probably one where there is not just one solution or one answer, but uh, again, a set of uh, of solutions should be maybe implemented. I think definitely, um, and and maybe we we will uh, talk about this more in the next uh, in the next part of the of the po- podcast. But education can be one starting point and uh, education at all levels and uh, it's not just the education that we do uh, formally in the in the schools or in the university classroom but also uh, i'm strong advocate for the more non-formal types of education so everything that uh, uh, kids or students learn also from uh, the place where, where they study and where they live. So it can be, for example, what happens in the in the canteen, mm-hmm. um, what happens in the home economics classes, for example, in that that there are at least here in Finland in uh, um, in elementary school. I think all those elements are important places where uh, something different can be can be taught from a very early age and from an age where people are still shaping their uh, priorities, their values, their views of the world. So that's a definitely, definitely important thing. Um, but of course, uh, there, there could be other, other places as well. There could be, uh, for example, um, labels could be another, another place. Uh, uh, but then again, I see nowadays an increasing level of uh, uh, an increasing amount of labels available also on food packages. And now I'm afraid that it's going more to the direction where everything becomes so confusing um, for most people that uh, I don't know if those can be maybe so effective. But uh, uh, I think also other channels maybe also, and nowadays, of course, there is huge use of, uh, of social media um, and podcasts like yours, I think also they are uh, definitely excellent platforms mm-hmm. to discuss certain topics that definitely are not in a way the sexiest topics <laughs> to talk about. So maybe some people are even a bit annoyed to mm-hmm. to always hear some discussion about, oh, you shouldn't eat this, oh, you shouldn't eat that. Uh, but that's, that's, I think, uh, a, a one point that I'm, I find especially when I, that's why I gave the, the, uh, the example of uh, the, the newspaper articles, because it is about, you should do this, you should do that. Maybe not exactly in these words, but uh, it, it doesn't open discussion in, in the, in the richer sense, but more like that. Some people start already feeling uh, attacked and some other people feel this and, you know, they try to, uh, 
just they they just want to prove that what they're doing is not wrong but it doesn't open any dialogue that you were mentioning uh, i mean within the civil society itself at least so um but but i definitely agree with the role of education and it uh, brings us to our uh, final big topic which is uh, which is your your most recent work uh, and you recently developed a um, toolkit educational toolkit uh, to communicate uh, or to teach the su- complexity of food sustainability and you you also with your two colleagues and uh, you won an award for that uh, so can you and I'm going to uh, give the link uh, to to this uh, for whoever is interested they can download the toolkit uh, i'm going to give the uh, link in description whenever wherever in which platforms that are possible but you can you can also give uh, information about where people can find it and what it is first of all yeah so uh to to introduce a bit why uh, why i got to this uh definitely uh, as i was mentioning earlier this this possibility to discuss Discuss these topics also with civil society has been something that I've been doing all the time uh, as uh, during my PhD studies. And then um, when 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 trying to 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 in a way gather my thoughts towards the end of the of the PhD process uh, and reflecting on all the the experiences and and that uh, that uh, had happened alongside with that, I started also to reflect on really what is the role of of the place that, that I was working in, uh, so academia, what is the role of, of universities, what is the role of the ed- education that takes place in university in uh, discussing or promoting certain uh, views on food sustainability issues, for example. And uh, my perception was uh, this, at least uh, a few years ago, uh, when, uh, when I defended the PhD, was that uh, not enough was being done and that still there was uh, a lot of education even in uh, uh, in uh, faculties related for example to agriculture that had this uh, let's say more uh, narrow and, and and traditional point of, point of view where disciplines are not talking with each other for example mm-hmm. and uh, um, that was a bit the starting point to to reflect on on how things could be changed and of course then when when I have been, uh, um, when I become a lecturer myself, and I've had the possibility to uh, bring this theory into practice in in my classes, I started to think about the kind of tools that I can use to to support a bit uh, different view of things in uh, in my courses. And uh, I started to to use this uh, food sustainability index, which is uh, something that has been developed by the Barilla Center for Food and Nutrition together with The Economist in the past uh, almost four years. And it's an index that uh, um, has evolved during the past six years. It now covers 67 countries from all over the world um, and has uh, almost 90 different indicators included. Mm -hmm. So it's a composite index. And uh, the idea is that uh, it tries to cover uh, different areas. So it covers uh, sustainable agriculture and inside sustainable agriculture, there are indicators related to, for example, the use of uh, water in agriculture, greenhouse gas emissions and so on. Uh, Then there are indicators related to food loss and waste. So for example, food waste per capita, 
but then there are also indicators related to, uh, to diets, composition of diets, so the nutritional parts, so for example, salt intake or obesity rate and so on. So it really tries to cover everything. Mm. And uh, uh, I thought it is a good tool, uh, but I also saw it as something that was a bit limited because um, in, it assesses all these indicators for all these countries and then gives a score. And I was a bit afraid that then if I present this like this to the students, for example, that then this is going to be the end. Like, okay, now we see which is the best country. And I think that's very, very limited because uh, for me, that's not the end. That's the starting point. So why does a country, for example, has, why does a country have this score? Uh, Are there areas where this country is doing really well, but then maybe areas where it's not doing so well? And this is the case, for example, with many Western countries where maybe uh, many issues are, are okay, but then when we look at food waste per capita, for example, it's pretty high and much higher than, than other countries. Um, or then uh, this can be the starting point to reflect also about, okay, why is uh, uh, the situation in this country so different from this other country? What is the context? What is the cultural context? What is the political context? What is the societal context that uh, uh, gives this value? So little by little, we started, uh, me and um, two other colleagues, to develop this this toolkit, let's call it like this, because there is a whole set of materials that anyone can go and, uh, and download and use in their classrooms. So there is some quits, there is some slides, there is uh, uh, some also further readings and suggestions for further assignments that can be used. There are some video tutorials. Um, and then there are especially the instructions to carry out two different types of workshops with the students. and. Uh, they both involve a lot of uh, group work. Uh, and in one, uh, students really look at the situation of one country or more than one country. And as I said, try to understand what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, why uh, there are those strengths and weaknesses, how maybe possibly things could even be changed. Um, and this is something that I've seen becomes incredibly interesting, especially when you have a group of students that has different geographical backgrounds, because then they have these like insiders knowledge about their home country, for example, then they can really bring it to the exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one, it acts even more on, uh, uh, on empathy and imagination. So it's a role playing sort of game where different groups of students try to imagine what it is to be, for example, a farmer or a, ne- or a nutritionist or a policymaker or a food businessman. And they, they try uh, starting from this set of indicators that I was uh, very uh, quickly describing before uh, to imagine what are the priorities for these different stakeholders. And then we have a, a, a dialogue in the end where uh, we see that uh, uh, really all these uh, different priorities need to talk to each other and need to, uh, to find in a way a common solution in order to be able to move towards a more sustainable direction. And uh, this is um, something that I have used in my personal, in a way, journey uh, that started with some random experiments three years ago. Uh, over, you know, cooperations also with uh, with other lecturers in other universities uh, from very different disciplines. We have tried this with uh, 
students from design, from engineering, from uh, nutrition, from tourism and hospitality management. Even we had one student uh, participating in one workshop. He was from mathematics, for example, and he he was so excited and he had so great ideas that I was really impressed. So um, this has been tested with uh, in a variety of situations in in class in the classroom when that has been possible. And of course, now with COVID-19 or then in the uh, situation where uh, we have been cooperating with people from uh, other institutions uh, online. So through um, using Zoom or using Teams and, and then doing this group work online. And uh, the feedback that has come from the students has been uh, uh, in general really positive and many have been then um, able to bring also the, uh, the thoughts and the reflections coming from this uh, exercises into their personal research projects. So we tried to develop a tool that really can create more creative solutions and a higher use of imagination and a higher use of system thinking as well in approaching these um, these, these issues. Yeah, it's for me it was it's, it's super interesting. Uh, also, I was in the webinar where you you talked about it uh, yesterday. Um, it's super interesting because I I come from a design background and we use a lot of participatory design uh, methods, uh, participatory methods, and uh, so it was also for me very very interesting uh, to see all these uh, this as a toolkit, especially like a compact toolkit, uh, and to see how it uh, enriches the conversation and uh, the, the ideas coming from the students. Uh, but, but one thing that I want to ask about it is, can you, um, can you use it in, uh, for, with younger generations, uh, which is my uh, current uh, area of interest, uh, like teenagers, high school students? Of course, not as it is, uh, but with some variations, with some diff different versions. Yeah, I would say why not? And actually, the idea that we have always had is that uh, uh, this is not something that, okay, now it's a finished, polished version and that's it and it's going to be like this forever. But on the contrary, it's something that I'm very happy that it's now out there. Anyone can go and download it and then uh, uh, look at the materials and try to adapt those materials to their specific needs. And of course, it is thought with higher education in mind, so with, uh, uh, with the university level, but uh, uh, no one is stopping anyone uh, from uh, using this also in the context of high school, for example. And I'm sure that uh, uh, by connecting some of the materials available with uh, things that are discussed, for example, in the classroom, uh, I'm sure that, uh, uh, that that shouldn't be shouldn't be a problem. So it maybe just needs a little bit uh, adjustment in terms of how things are communicated, if, if that's necessary. Because in the end, the workshops, um, I mean, there is no rocket science in there. I mean, it's just more about creating uh, a process of reflection and, and dialogue and uh, an empathy also in, uh, um, in uh, especially in the second uh, workshop when where students imagine to be one specific actor in the food system. So I think it's very adaptable and I would like it to be very adaptable. 
And uh, uh, I think that definitely you are not the first one who, who asked this. Uh, we have received already other uh, requests mm -hmm. in this sense. So I think that definitely one of the next uh, um, developments for this work would be to, to make it available and more approachable also for people who, who teach or want to teach to a younger generation. So one more time, how can people uh, reach the, if they want to... Uh if they want to download, even though I'm going to put the link in, in the description, in, in YouTube at least, but... Uh. Yeah, so uh, as I was mentioning, the, the whole work started from this food sustainability index that was developed by the Barilla Center for Food and Nutrition together with The Economist. So uh, the toolkit can be accessed from the Barilla uh, Center for Food and Nutrition uh, website, which is www dot barilla cfn dot com uh, you will see in the menu there is uh, uh, one tab that is educational programs and under that you will find uh, this specific uh, uh, toolkit uh, that is called FSI so the acronym of food sustainability index edu so FSI edu from the Barilla Center for Food and Nutrition uh, website and uh, as you said you will also put the link so I really encourage anyone who, who is in the audience and who is maybe uh, a lecturer uh, to to use this uh, this toolkit, and uh, I would be very happy to get uh, feedback and suggestions. Definitely. So these are all my questions, and uh, I just finally want to ask you: Do you have any final words or comments or anything else you want to say? The final word is yours. Yeah, so just very quickly, first, I would like to thank you because uh, uh, with this podcast, I, I have also had uh, the opportunity to step out from uh, um, the, the context that I am more used to. So the context of, of teaching in university or doing research in university uh, that are sometimes maybe also quite quite rigid or tend to be quite rigid. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a way, it's nice to have had the chance to have uh, maybe um, an easier going conversation. I'm, I'm very happy about that. And, uh, and the other point is that I think we have repeated now many times in this conversation, the word complexity and, and how these issues are complex and how there is no uh, solution that fits all. And I understand that this can be very, um, maybe even scary. So I understand that people may think, ah, oh, why should I be doing anything at all if this is so complex? But um, I would like to invite people and encourage people not to be in a way overwhelmed by this complexity, but to use this complexity as the starting point to maybe learn something new, maybe put ourselves up for discussion, maybe even question our, our values and the actions that we do every day, the choices we make every day. And, and I would like to conclude with uh, something that one of my students uh, said at the end of my one of my courses, that he said that uh, he, had, uh, he had come to the course thinking that he would find some answers, but he leaves he left the course thinking that now he has he has no answers, but he has the right questions. So I think that uh, that was for me a huge uh, a huge positive feedback. So. All right, so thank you uh, one more time for accepting this uh, interview. It was thank super you. nice. Uh, and I'll definitely continue uh, following your work. And of course, we're going to be communicating uh, in other areas as well. So thanks again and uh, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>